Welcome to Sabbath School. Today we are doing a study on a blueprint for a better world. And we have a panel of four, including me. I'm going to let the members of the panel introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Stephen, and really glad to be here again with you. I'm Harvey, and I'm back again, and it's nice to be here. I'm Brenton, and it's always a privilege to share God's Word with our people. And today, Brenton is the facilitator, and so, Brenton, it's over to you. Thank you. Last time we met together on air, we studied the subject of God created. This time, as Len has stated, we're going to study the subject of Blueprint for a Better World. But before we really open our Bibles and delve into this most interesting and important subject, I'm going to ask Harvey if he would offer prayer for us. Thank you, Harvey. Kind, loving, heavenly Father, we thank you that we have the privilege of studying your word again today. And as we go through it, may we have the Holy Spirit's influence in our lives to show us what is right so that we can learn from it, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you, Harvey. When you think of neighbours, you probably think of people who live each side of you, across the road from you, or whatever. We live in a global village, as we're often told, and yet people often don't even know their neighbours who live across the road or alongside of them. Today, we're going to look at uh, the subject of Blueprint for a Better World through the eyes of who is our neighbour and how should we treat them. Uh, Leviticus 19.18 was a very important verse. Steve, I wondered if you could just share that verse with us and maybe give us an exegesis just quickly of what that verse means to you. Uh, Leviticus 19 verse 18 says, You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. Well, I guess when I think of that text, I think the first part is where it says don't take vengeance. I'm reminded of that passage in the Bible that says vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Mm, true. And then I think of the last bit which says, but you shall love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. And that reminds me that Jesus quoted this passage um, when he was speaking to the people about after he was asked who was my neighbour. And away he went. We'll get to that in a minute. But um, there's a middle section, Steve, that you missed out. Who specifically in this verse is classed as their neighbour? Your people. The children of your people. Yeah. Wouldn't that be talking about Israelites? I would have thought so, yes. Mm. But if we go to verse 34, you find that God expands it a little bit. This is Leviticus 19, verse 34. The alien living with you must be treated as one of your native-born. Love him as yourself, for you were aliens in Egypt. I and the Lord your God. Now that's a pretty profound statement, isn't it, Len? What, well, what do you take out of it? <laughs> well, sometimes we think of foreigners, oh, well, they're second-class citizens or they're not like us, so therefore we don't need to treat them the same. But that's not what this text says, that anybody, whether they're foreign-born or whatever, we are to treat them as ourselves. Now, how do we treat ourselves? Uh, I see it this way that we have a certain amount of self-respect. We do things that are good for us. And in this case, we do things that are good for them. In other words, we treat them decently, with respect, and if they're needy in any way, that we help them so that their lives are also happy and satisfactory. 
that's a that's a good point. But isn't isn't this really making it very clear? God is making it clear to them that it doesn't matter who they come across, they should consider them almost as native-born Israelites. Isn't that what this text is saying? Yes. Well, the way in the in the method of treating them, they should be treated in the same manner. That's right, and. Stephen referred to what Jesus said before, yeah, we'll get and to that we'll deal with that, <laughs> but we are to treat others as ourselves, and that this verse that I just read was directed particularly to the Israelites, but it has a wider application. Mm-hmm. We would say today, uh, Leonard, has a global application, wouldn't of, we? Of mm-hmm. course. Mm-hmm. But on what basis is Christ saying to the Mojave that they are to treat native, um, non-native born people as Israelites. What is this text actually saying? He says on the basis of what? Well, on the basis that they are part of the family of God. Mm-hmm. Um, what what land is he referring to here? Well, he refers to the land of Egypt. He says, ah. because you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I was just thinking about that text. And yeah. when they first arrived, they were treated wonderfully well. You know, Joseph was the... Oh was the number two mm. and they were given lovely land in the area of Goshen if I remember rightly one of the richest parts of yep. Egypt and then um, but then a, a new ruler who didn't know about Joseph turned up and they their situation changed dramatically and I guess when I think about that I think about this passage and I think well what God's asking the children of Israel to do is to keep treating them like Joseph's family were treated when they first arrived in the land of Egypt that's a, that's not a to have a dramatic comment. change mm. Mm. it was actually Treating them in an opposite way as they were later treated. Mm. Yes. They were treated harshly and with disregard for their human rights, etc., etc. And the Israelites had this experience of being treated badly, but that didn't mean to say that they should treat other people badly. Mm. God said, no, don't do that. Treat people well, with respect. Mm. I've written down uh, just briefly this, that what God is asking them to do here is not an emotional issue of loving people. It's an issue of a principle. The principle is to love your neighbour as yourself. And who is your neighbour? Well, we've just discussed it. Steve, you touched on something earlier on in Luke chapter 10. What had happened by the time Christ came along? Maybe we can turn to Luke 10 just briefly. Um, He was asked a question in Luke chapter 10 by... A, um, a lawyer and Jesus answered him in terms of what we've already discussed in verse 27. Steve, could you read verse 27 and uh, just just verse 27 for us? I think okay. That's... He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. Okay, keep maybe keep going down to verse 29. Okay, and then Jesus replied, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? Okay, now, (laughs) if you compare this experience with what was said back in Leviticus, you can see that the ideal that God planted back in Leviticus has certainly not been replicated here. Because the Jews, according to what we have read, the Jews spent a lot of time arguing over who was their neighbour. Which seems strange because yeah. this guy's just quoted two verses from, yes, from, from the from Torah. from the book of Leviticus, yep. from the Torah. And um, he says he's quoted two verses from the Torah and yet he has uh, uh, not noted the one that we just read before, which he would have known. Like no, this guy would have known it better than you and I. Mm. Yes, um, good point. I, I guess sometimes our cultural drivers tend to... Um, 
obliterate um, sometimes the principles that we have as yeah. people. Mm. I think the uh, lawyer in this particular case was addressing uh, where he said, love your neighbour as yourself. I think he was applying Leviticus 19 verse 18 rather than Leviticus 19 verse 34. Mm. I would say so, yeah. Mm. Len, did you have any comment on this? Yes, I, I did. You saw your hand starting to bob <laughs> a little bit. Um, in First John chapter 5, mm. we have... A couple of verses, verses 2 and 3. Um, it says this, This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Now it's interesting that the Apostle John writes this out uh, at the beginning. This is how that we know we love the children of God. Who are the children of God? Well, we can't just apply this to, say, in these times to Christians. No. It's to anybody. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. What Jesus quoted back there in Luke, in answer to the question, was to love God. That was the principal thing of keeping the commandments, to love God, and to love one's fellow man. And that's reiterated, as I just read, from 1 John 5, 2 and 3. Thank you, Lynn. That's, uh, that's a very good comment. Moving on, um, we talk about the God who hears. When e um, Israel was being oppressed in Egypt, we find in the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Harvey, I wonder if you could uh, share those verses with us. One of the principles I see here is that God is demonstrating not only his concern for them, I think it's a little bit deeper than just concern. We can be concerned about people, but if our concern doesn't lead to any positive sort of action, it's a fairly shallow sort of a concern. What was the reference? Uh, the reference is Exodus chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Exodus 3. Verses 16 this and 17. This is God talking to Moses and Aaron. Yeah. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Thank you. The word seen, God says, I have seen, what, what do we take from that? Is it deeper than I simply have observed that you're in trouble? Any comments? Mm -hmm. Well, I'd say specifically God is interested in his people wherever they are, and uh, he does see, he does observe in the strongest possible way he can see everything that's happening so I think it was that his people he recognised his people were being dealt very badly with yes, yeah, that's a good point and any other thoughts on that one? I guess God's seeing drives his action so um, you and I, we, we, we sit in front of the television watch the news if we're allowed to um, <laughs> <laughs> when you've got small children, not always allowed to watch the news because it's the scary. Cricket, or the cricket, Steve. Or the cricket, yes. <laughs> and um, so we see and we watch and we do nothing. So I see the, 
the terrible things that are happening in different parts of the world and I just go, oh my goodness, this is terrible. I feel like there's nothing I can do. God sees and he gets involved. Mm-hmm. So he didn't just say, oh, the poor kid, the poor children of Israel down there, they're having a, they're having a rough having trot. A rough trot. No, he goes and he talks to Moses and he starts to get things cracking to fix it because the time has arrived for things mm. to be done. Mm. Um, and he's and very specific about what he's going to that's do. That's exactly right. Mm. And then he sees to the point that he sends his son. Mm. And so God's, God's seeing isn't sort of voyeuristic. It's seeing to be involved yes. in care. Yeah. yeah. Len, did you have any comment on the word see as you understand it in this um, passage? I think there's something really beautiful here. The fact that many people, including Christians, sometimes have bad things happen to them. But that doesn't mean to say that God has pulled away his protection or his care for them. It's uh, sometimes God allows things to happen to people in order for them to grow. And I can look back over my own life and there was a time when God did allow things that I didn't expect to happen to happen but as I consider this I see that it was for my best that the course that I was following didn't actually um, go the way that I thought that God disallowed something to happen for my best did you see it at the time though or was it only in hindsight well I always had the conscious thought that maybe it's not going to work out the way I want it to work out. And I kind of left my options open. I had a hope that things would go the way that I'd planned. They didn't. But I wasn't um, totally distressed because it didn't work out that way. Mm. Okay. That's that's an interesting comment, um, that um, sometimes things don't work out the way that we would want them to work out. One of the things um, I see coming through in these texts that we've been reading and discussing is this. God is showing his compassion. Mm. Now, one of the things that is frequently mentioned in the New Testament about Jesus is that he had compassion on them. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. He saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd and he had compassion on them. It it means it it so affects you, not only emotionally but also physically, that mm. you feel that you have no option other than to get involved. Yeah. And here God is is saying to these people, what I like about this text is this. He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of your fathers. I'm still your God. Mm. I was the God of all these guys, but I'm the your God as well. Don't you reckon that's good, Lee? Mm, I do. It also places a historical context because the Israelites knew the history of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and the history wasn't always beautiful but God still (laughs) cared for them even though they made their mistakes. Here's a question I'd like to throw in before we get into how did, did God ask them to look after the less fortunate. These people were oppressed. There's no doubt about that. They were marginalised. I would go so far as to say the children of Israel were brutalised mm-hmm. because you remember at one stage um, they took away their straw and said you've still got to make the same number of bricks but you've got to go and get the straw as well as the bricks and if you don't, well the consequences obviously were fairly horrific How many times in human history have we seen the occasions it never ceases to amaze me where the oppressed 
when they become in a position of power or influence, they become the oppressor. <laughs> yes. Well, any comments on that? <laughs> well, that definitely happened with the pilgrims, first pilgrims to America. Good point, they were leaving Europe <coughs> to get away from persecution and oppression, but as soon as they got to America, they set issues or they set standards and things that had to be met and if they weren't met there was big trouble mm. so it was really mm. doing exactly what they'd been trying to get away from were doing it when they got to the new yeah. world yes i've heard that too harvey how that um they left for the religious freedom reasons correct when yeah. they got over there then they set parameters that say a person who did not a church and uh, not attend church um, two weeks in a row or even if it went to three weeks they would throw the book at them and something else as well <laughs> mm. yes and they ended up hanging some of their own people at various times if you study the history of <laughs> these particular things it's, it, it's pretty serious I think God is really saying at all times I want you to remember there was a time when you were marginalised and oppressed. I don't want you ever to forget that. I want that to be foremost in your mind in your dealings with your uh, your neighbours. Steve, I wondered if you could read Isaiah 5 verse 7 to see if that was carried out. And uh, Len, could you read Zechariah 7.10? Because here we have from the mentary text. And it's by two prophets much later in their history who, who make similar comments. So Isaiah 5 verse 7. Yes, thanks. Yep, it says here, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. That's not a very uh, positive picture, is it? <laughs> no, it's pretty, pretty <laughs> negative, really. The whole idea of justice sort of seems to have gone out the window. Yeah, and that I'm sure that he, um, there's a certain degree of exaggeration here, but things weren't going the way God had intended, quite mm -hmm. obviously. Mm -hmm. Len, what does yours say? Zechariah chapter 7, verse 10. Can I read verse 9 to you? You may indeed. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. In your hearts do not think evil of each other. In this, it's really a summary that as God's people, we need to treat everybody with fairness, not, not take advantage of some and treat others with deference, whatever, but we are to regard everybody in society as one of God's people. Therefore, I am no better than anybody else. Therefore, I treat others as myself, mm. or myself as I would treat others. Mm. Thank you, Len. Who can we think of in the New Testament who actually has quite a lot to say about, not, uh, about being impartial? Yes. <laughs> James has quite a lot to say about this. <laughs> James um, gives an illustration about if somebody comes along to a worship service and he's dressed in fine clothes and with gold rings and this and that and you offer him the best seat and then somebody comes in with shabby clothes and instead of being offered the best seat said well you can go and stand up in that back corner and James points this out as an illustration of what 
people will do in as much as they will, based on a person's social standing or whatever it is, will make distinctions between one and another, which Jesus, which we've read from Zechariah, from Isaiah, from Leviticus, from Exodus, that we should treat each other fairly. Mm. Thank you, Lynn. I just want to read a statement that uh, I think is relevant regarding the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments, everything that preceded that Moses was given, the regulations and rules that he was given, proceeds really from the Ten Commandments. It says the Ten Commandments read like a constitution. While many of these statements are brief, we should un- underestimate the breadth of their impact and the comprehensiveness of the Ten Commandments as the law of life. For example, the Sixth Commandment, you shall not murder, Exodus 20, verse 13, summarises and includes all acts of injustice that tend to shorten life as well as a selfish neglect of caring for the needy or suffering. I doubt that any person reading the Ten Commandments would attribute that sort of uh, value to it, don't you think? Well, with all the commandments, there's a positive and a negative application. Yes. To neglect somebody rather than to um, physically go and do them harm is as bad as doing them harm. Say somebody is really needy. Let's take a fairly extreme example. Somebody is homeless. They have no income. They're hungry, cold, thirsty, etc., etc. In not helping that person is as bad as making it worse. Mm. That's that's a very strong statement, Len, but it's true. It's as bad as positively injuring them. Not doing it is as bad as actually injuring them. Jesus himself referred to this in talking about who is my neighbour, which was asked Mm -hmm. of him. Sure. And he gave this illustration about a priest and a Levite and then the Samaritan. The priest and the Levite, they saw the situation that this man was bleeding and beaten and his clothes had been ripped off him and all the rest, walked past and didn't have compassion on him. Mm. So they didn't do anything about it. Jesus, in telling this story, uh, implied that they had really exacerbated the situation in as much as they left him there. It's a negative aspect. They didn't harm him, but they, they didn't, didn't help, help him. him. Hmm. The Samaritan came along. He had compassion on the wounded man, and he did good for him. And this is really what we are talking about in the commandments, thou should not kill if we're doing something which doesn't improve the situation, it's just like we're, we're um, <coughs> promoting the situation. Yeah. yeah. Harvey, did you have <coughs> any thoughts on it? Well, just interestingly, with the Good Samaritan, mm. as it was talk- we were just talking about, in fact, by them not doing anything, they were, in fact, harming him. Yeah. Because you leave somebody that's in a bad way and say, well, let somebody else deal with it, mm they could easily have a turn for the worse while they're waiting for somebody to actually do something for them. Mm. So you can very correctly say in practical terms that they are in fact harming him. 
Mm, mm, thank you, Harvey. I do want to move on, but unfortunately I'm going to play the devil's advocate now because <laughs> I heard a, sit a situation on the media the other day that um, has really um, not stirred me up, but it certainly got me thinking. Uh, there was a fight going on in a, a neighbouring area here in South Australia and a neighbour saw that his neighbour was being set upon by these people, so he went out and assisted his neighbour and ended up belting up one of the attackers and now he's been arrested by the police and the comment by the police was that you must use proportional force. Now, if someone's attacking you with a tyre wrench, what is proportional force? Depends how old you are. <laughs> Depends how hard your head is. <laughs> uh, yes, I've uh, heard quite a bit about this and I've actually mentioned it on some of the radio programs that I've done. Um, equal force or proportional force refers to the fact that if you're old and you have a superior weapon and you are up against somebody who's younger who has an inferior weapon, for example, there was a case in South Australia where an old man was going to be attacked by an intruder, yes. a young man with a knife, the old fellow had a shotgun and it was loaded and he used it and the law saw it this way that it was an equal or proportional force the old man with the shotgun versus the young man with the knife and the old man was not charged he was questioned but not charged, not charged. because mm. the law applied in his case Mm. All right. Well, I know that that's not really digressing because it's all all in the in the path of uh, treating your neighbour as yourself and looking out for those around you. But uh, we mentioned earlier on in one of the verses, I think, Len, that you read in Zechariah, talked about slaves, widows, fatherless, and foreigners. What have all those got in common, Steve? Mm. How would you describe their situation? Let's start with slaves. What do we know about slaves from that era? Well, slaves are at the bottom of the pile, aren't they, really? Mm -hmm. So they, um, I don't know what to give them, but I'd imagine their rights are, are very, very limited if they'd have any at all. Mm -hmm. um, widows? Widows are financial, and particularly in those days, were in financial distress. They, um, they probably live from hand to mouth. No Centrelink? Mm -hmm. No Centrelink. Um, and um, that's disability why, pension. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and that's why um, the prophets, you know, that, that the I think I think Micah says that you know that the true godliness is to look to do this, this, and look after the widows and the orphans. Mm -hmm. He does. I so. think they fit into a single picture, don't they? How They're would you all groups them, of disadvantaged people. Yeah. They're people that have not the wherewithal themselves to provide in a way that is what we would consider the, the way people should live. Yeah. It's, it's, is it disadvantaged or is it actually more than that? Len, what do you think? What, what do they all have in common? Slaves, widows, fatherless and foreigners. They are powerless. They are people who have no influence or sway in society. Thank you for answering the question <laughs> for me. <laughs> Sorry, Led. No, that's good. Over to you. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say something the same as what Harvey no, said. No, They're okay. all disadvantaged. They're disadvantaged in as much as they can't really come out of or control the situation to the extent that they would like. And so it's up to others, therefore, to help them in their need. Would it be fair to say that none of these groups are in control of their destiny? 
Yes, I think it is. They might be in control to a certain degree, but what they would like, they can't make the difference because they don't have the power, the resources, the money. They're in a position because of something that has really happened to them that is out of their control. Yeah. It's, they're not there by choice. Mm. They're there because mm. of circumstances. Yeah. Mm. How many of us on this panel have actually helped somebody, and I'm sure all of us have, where you realise afterwards that this person is completely powerless in controlling their own destiny or even their own present situation or improving it? Uh, I've had the experience of, of helping people and you come away. I can think of a girl that I helped a few years ago who said, can you push my car for me because her car had broken down and um, she wanted me to push it in reverse out of the way so that other people could, could get out. And I got to talking to this girl and I've kept in irregular contact with her since but she was just so grateful and she started to I was a complete stranger and she just started to pour out her story of some of the things that had happened to her in her life and uh, I saw it as a divine appointment now what Christ is talking about in the Good Samaritan incidentally the Good Samaritan is not a parable the Good Samaritan was an event that actually took place <laughs> and we are told that the priest and the Levite were actually in the group who were listening to the story. Could someone read Exodus 22 verse 21 to 23 because here again God reinforces the point as to how we should treat these particular disadvantaged groups, Harvey as you call them, slaves, widows, fatherless and foreigners. Um, there's actually a statement here and again God makes a very similar statement to ones we've already read in our study thus far. Mm. So that's Exodus 22, 21, 21 to 23. Do not mistreat an alien or oppress him, for you will you were aliens in Egypt. Do not take advantage of a widow or an orphan. If you do, and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused, and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. Which means that I will put you in the position of the people that you are taking advantage of. Ah. Mm. Len, did you have a comment on this? Well, this is I, a very, very powerful uh, text. Yes, it is, and I agree <coughs> with what Stephen has said. But it's, it's, it's kind of almost like a threat or a consequence. Mm. If you mistreat other people, then you can expect to be mistreated too, and I will see to it, says God. Yes. Harvey, did you have a comment on this one? Well, actually, I was going to comment on... If you looked at the Ten Commandments themselves, and we looked... We did earlier on, but only at one, didn't we? <laughs> it's interesting that you... The preamble to the Ten Commandments is the Lord saying, I am the Lord which brought you out of the land of Egypt. In other words, I'm the one that actually released you from oppression. And he wants us to always follow his example in doing things mm. where we can to help those that are oppressed and in need so this is a little bit aside but I think some of our listeners are probably considering what I'm about to say, does this mean that the Ten Commandments were only given to the Israelite people, that's my question he says I am the Lord which brought you out of the land of Egypt and then he gives the commandments mm -hmm. does that mean the Ten Commandments only apply to the Israelites 
or do they have a much wider application? We only have to read the Ten Commandments and understand what they're asking you to do or not to do. Um, and almost all of them, I'll say, use that <laughs> advisedly, almost all of them, we would all agree. After all, you're not going to murder somebody, you're not going to steal from them, you're not going to lie, etc., etc. So the Ten Commandments are applicable to all, not just to the Israelites. But I think the situation was, as far as the Israelites are concerned, they had spent over 400 years in, in Egypt captivity. and they had lost their way to a large extent yeah. as being God's people. And God was actually re reiterating something that they should have known mm -hmm. and probably to a large extent did know. Okay, now I, I don't want to leave this alone just yet. We recognise the Ten Commandments given to the Israelites. Does Do the Ten Commandments apply to the Christian era? In other words, can you find texts in the New Testament to say that we should keep and observe and live by the Ten Commandments? Well, you only have to read through the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus didn't narrow the meaning of the Ten Commandments. He actually broadened that mm. meaning. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, even if you hate your brother, you've actually um, broken him. the murder That's commandment. Right. Mm -hmm. And six. if you just look on a woman yeah. lustfully, lustfully mm -hmm. even if you haven't done anything, you've actually committed adultery in, a, in your heart. Mm -hmm. So God, Jesus didn't narrow the meaning of the Ten Commandments, but he broadened it. He gave it the widest possible uh, Some people have said, in a sense, he's actually made it kind of harder. Because uh, can you explain well, uh, what you mean by that statement? Well, it's, oh. <laughs> well, I guess the Ten Commandments can be treated as kind of a, an arm's length kind of mm -hmm. a thing. You know, they can be. Don't yes. don't murder. Don't do this. Don't do that. And whereas Jesus makes it a heart issue, which is consistent with the Old Testament, because you know when 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 David was chosen to be the king after Saul. The prophet comes along and looks at all the all the, all the children of Jesse, and he goes, "Oh, this this must this must be the one. He looks good. He looked at him as it were from an arm's length point of view." And then God said, "No, no, no. He's not the one. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart, and that's a principle yeah, for yeah, life." Yeah, cool. And so, when when Jesus applies the some of the laws of the Old Testament, he specifically makes them all matters of the heart. Yes, yes. That's harder yeah. than just not doing something wrong. Goes from external to internal, doesn't it? I'd like to read a text for you. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 19, mm -hmm. written by the Apostle Paul. And it says this. I'll give you that reference again. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 19. It says, Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Now, I'm really answering my own question, but I think it's important because I know that many people have the idea that the commandments were only for the Jews. That is a load of rubbish, and the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John, the Apostle Jude, the Apostle Peter... And James. And James, James. All disagree with that. And so anyone who has that argument, oh, the we don't need to keep the Sabbath because the commandments are only given to the Jews, that's rubbish. 
yeah. guess what I'd like to say is when you re- when you look at the stories in the Gospels and you see what Jesus did, he didn't really come to abrogate the law. He came to reform the practice around it. Yes. And so yeah. for me, that's the, the big deal. So I think he came to show uh, the Jews of his time that they had completely misunderstood the application of the law, how it was to be applied in practice. What they were doing was simply observing the law from an outward perspective uh, because when you get into Matthew 23 and the woes on the Pharisees, he basically says outside they look like whitewashed tombs. He said inside they're full of dead men's bones, Uh, which is a pretty harsh assessment to make of people that were considered in their society to be at the top of the rung as far as holiness and uh, all that sort of thing went. Steve, you had a comment? I was thinking in in terms of of the discussion (coughs) that we've been having in regards to care for those who were disenfranchised. Yes. Um, It seems to me that um, that's another key thing. You know, it's very easy for us to um, to sort of overlook that part of of God's advice for his people. And... um, and look at some of the other things that really that's that's mm. what he's primarily concerned about you know often he, often yeah. Jesus would say you have focused on these things and good and well but you've overlooked the weightier matters of the law, of the law. which yes. is an interesting turn of phrase isn't it Lena in uh, light of what you were saying before yes. um, so obviously Jesus wanted um, people to be law abiding and he wanted them to love the Lord their God with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their strength and their neighbour as themselves, which is the focus of a Bible discussion this morning. Steve, you hit the nail on the head. I think the comment that he made was this. He said, Woe to you, scribes and the Pharisees, because you tithe mint, dill and cumin, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy. You should have done the former without neglecting the latter. That's exactly right. It's interesting. Last Sunday, my wife and I went to see our granddaughter, and others who are involved in rhythmic gymnastics. Now, our granddaughter's doing very well. She has a number of gold medals, and she was awarded a a cup rather than just a ribbon last Sunday. But not only did we see her performing, but we saw other young rhythmic gymnastics. And you can see the difference. The young ones do the actions and procedures because they know that they should do them but as they get older there's a lot more grace in the whole thing and I think this is in the life of a, a, a person in regard to keeping the Ten Commandments okay initially we might do it because the Lord says this is what you should do and this is what you shouldn't do but as we uh, become more mature at least in our thinking we can see there are good reasons yes. for doing that and we do it from a different motivation not because we have to but because we realise that's the best way to live mm. Thank you, Lynn. We can all as in school for instance certain rules are set now those rules have to be kept as in certain attitudes, certain activities that you can or cannot do in school. But the time comes when you do things as a student. I can remember back to as far as when I was a student, not just when I was a teacher, but when I was a student. Well, that wasn't very long ago. (laughs) (laughs) Last century. Yes, last century, (laughs) well into last century. Um, Anyway, the thing is, 
if you have a teacher who you respect, you are far more willing to not just do what the letter of the law says, but you're even willing to go a second mile, if you can say it that way, because you respect the person, you want to do what they, you know that they would approve of, Mm. certainly not what they would disapprove of. I remember a teacher I had, and I was caught saying a word that I should never have said, Um, and I got punished for it, probably in a way that you don't get punished for in schools today. But I do not in any way um, say that what happened to me was wrong. But I did, I felt worse about it because the teacher that chastised me was one that I respected so much. And I think the same can be for the Ten Commandments. Mm. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's right. Mm. And I believe that's really important. Thank you. Moving along, um, in the, the uh, we have dealt so far with how we are to treat certain, uh, shall we say, disadvantaged or powerless members of society. Uh, we've touched on that, and the principle that comes out time and time again is just remember, you were in Egypt, you yeah. were oppressed, you were where these people are. Steve, I think you touched on it earlier on. This is the reverse. Now you're in a situation where you have the power, you have the authority mm. to mm. either better these people's lives or grind them down to where you were when you were in that situation. Just remember what it was like when you were there. Yeah, I think now, that's really cool. I think mean, I mean God institutes a system in order to um, ensure that things are restored and set back in place. Now, yeah. people, well, I guess I imagine that's on your list of things to talk about, but um, what intrigues me about this is that history doesn't sort of suggest that that was particularly well applied but nonetheless the idea of it is absolutely brilliant yeah, yeah true uh-huh. look uh, we wanted to touch on uh, Len I think oh, you had your hand up before we uh, move on yeah, I've, <laughs> I think I've got something important to say hmm. you usually do Len <laughs> <laughs> those people who have the greatest empathy for others who are disadvantaged or hurt or whatever are those who have been in the same situation themselves. For example, I have never lost a partner. I still live with my first wife and our marriage is strong. However, when there is a, a, a breakup, I don't understand because I've never experienced what it is to break no. up with your no. partner. Yeah. Whereas somebody else who's been through that can be of more comfort and help to the person who's mm. recently lost their partner uh, than say I could. Yes. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Lynn. Um, one of the other topics we wanted to discuss in our program was second tithing. Now, maybe, Steve, just for the benefit of those who would be listening to this program, can you just explain what the first tithe actually was in very quick... What was it used for? As I remember, the first tithe was used for the for the Levite yes, in the Old that's Testament, right, that's and the second right. tithe was used to assist those who were in need. Okay, and we're going to read about it now in Deuteronomy chapter fourteen, verse twenty-eight. Harvey, I wondered if you could read those texts for us, please. Probably verse twenty-eight down to the re- end of the chapter. Okay. At the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce of that year and store it up within your gates. And the Levite, because he has no portion nor inheritance with you, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates, 
may come and eat and be satisfied that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. Steve, you did touch on what this principle actually was this 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 third year thing. The Levites, um, for the benefit of those who may be listening, were scattered throughout Israel. They had no specific area of land allocated to them, unlike the other tribes, and they were actually scattered throughout the land. The first tithe was for the benefit of the Levites, and the Levites were in turn were to put a portion of that tithe to those who assisted them with the temple services and that sort of thing. But here you have a situation where every third year God is saying, the tithe that you would normally give, I want you to use it in a, in a practical way to help these disadvantaged groups that we have been talking about so far in our study. Len, I can see you're nodding your head. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, actually, I was, I was really challenged Mm. in reading this and I thought to myself we actually in this day and age do that through the taxation system back then there was no taxation system and so provision was made for the underprivileged in society but these days I was just thinking it talks about um, um, for the now I can't find the, the reference to help the foreigners, the uh, widows, this, that and the other. It's verse 29, Len. Is it? Thank mm. you. Mm. Yes. So that the Levites have no allotment or intention, uh, inheritance of their own and the aliens, the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied. Well, the foreigners, we help them. We, Australia and other countries, give a lot of money to uh, third world countries. Foreign aid, you're thinking of. Foreign aid. Mm. Mm-hmm. We have a system within society whereby people like widows, unemployed, etc., etc., are helped. Of course, I'm not saying that as Christians we should not care about them because we've got the taxation system to rely on, but we do have a system in place to care for the disadvantaged. Mm, thank you, Liam. One of the other interesting things which we're not going to touch on because of time, but um, the second tithe, incidentally, gentlemen, was uh, used to support the kings, the very first king of Israel. If you read uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 15, which we haven't got time to do, the tithe was actually to be used to support the king Hmm. once they moved from what we call a theocracy to a, uh, a kingship situation. Uh, which is which is rather interesting. Anyway, we're moving on to the year of Jubilee. Now, this is a very important topic, the year of Jubilee. Uh, Steve, can you just share with us briefly what the year of ju- Jubilee was? Well, essentially, um, that was when people were restored to the lands that they might have lost due to um, due to debt. Yeah. Um, if people yeah. had sold themselves into bondage to pay a debt, that mm-hmm. bondage ceased and um, they were able to go back to their ancestral lands. Okay, let's have a look at it in Leviticus 25 because our time is moving along. Leviticus 25. Thank you, Steve. I think you've covered that pretty well. don't know what uh, the panel thinks, but I uh, don't know how that would work in 2019. Most of us own property. Uh, I live in a house and I have a certificate of title to that house, which 
I must admit I don't think I have at home. I think it's at the bank, even though I don't owe the bank any money on the house. But <laughs> I can't imagine <laughs> this reverting back <laughs> to what it was before I came along the scene because um, Steve, one of the members of your church, actually was in the house before we took it over. <laughs> and uh, before that, believe it or not, the property was actually a quarry. So we're living in land that used to be in quarry. And that might explain why the house has no cracks in it. We, uh, <laughs> we have a house free of cracks and that sort of thing. But here you have a situation where in the 49th year or the 50th year, and it's interesting, theologians argue over this. I looked mm. it up and at the end of it, Steve, I just gave up. I just said, does it really matter? <laughs> well, the problem was that history doesn't suggest they actually did this. No, it doesn't. So um, it's a wonderful idea, and I think it's brilliant, but it, obviously um, humans being what they are, probably never really practiced yeah. effectively. Yeah. What else were they to do? If you go down to, what, what chapter was it again? Chapter 25. Len, could you read verse 8 for us, please? Count off seven Sabbaths of years, seven times seven years, so that the seven Sabbaths of years amount to a period of 49 years. Yeah, keep reading down to verse 10, then, including verse 10. Then had the trumpet sounded everywhere on the tenth day of the seventh month. Which was what? On the day of atonement. Mm -hmm. Sound the trumpet throughout your land. You want me to keep mm -hmm. going? Yes, verse 10, yes. consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each one of you is to return to his family property and each to his own clan. Now, I'm stopping here, but I would like to say that this typifies the plan of salvation in a, in a certain I way. I believe it does, yes. It's a time of restoration. Where, as you said before, someone may have had to sell their services to pay a debt or they may have had to sell their land to pay a debt that on the 50th year it would be returned to them they would be restored to their rightful ownership if you like mm. there's a business principle mm. here that I don't know whether we've all picked up we possibly have Harvey you've got something to say well, on it, this I don't know whether I'm going to jump the gun well, on what if you do that's saying. fine <laughs> because it's very practical This it speaks about if you're going to buy the land it should be proportional to the number of years that are left of before the, the Jubilee. Yes, yes. So if you're buying the land at the beginning of the, the 49 years, yes. then you're going to pay a lot more for it or more for it than you are if you're only going to buy Five it in, years the, before. in, say, the 46th year. Yes. And the Bible specifically says that's what should be done. There should I be the price should vary. Mm. And that's pretty practical, I reckon. Oh, I think it's very practical. It's indeed. kind of a leasing arrangement, really, isn't it? It's more it, is. It's it is. It is. What else is it telling us, though? It's it's telling us that really, ultimately, because at, in this fiftieth year the land had to revert to the original, it really means uh, one of the things I draw from this is is simply this: that these guys are basically tenants. They're all lessees, if you want to use a phrase that we're commonly uh, acquainted with in 2019. They were lessees. 
because God says in one spot there, I own everything anyway, mm. only leasing it. Len, did you have a comment on it? Yeah, well, you were referring to Psalms where yeah. it says, um, the Lord owns the cattle on the thousand hills and the wealth in every mine. Mm-hmm. He owns the rivers and the rocks and rills. Um, sun and the stars that shine. Sun and stars that shine. Mm-hmm. So, yes, this, I don't know if you've heard of maritime law. Yes. Maritime law is rather interesting in as much as it says we don't own anything. Here in Australia, the Queen owes all our stuff, but she just doesn't lay claim to it. That's true. Uh, And this is very parallel to what you were saying, that the Lord owns all, and we just have use of it for a while. Mm, Thank you. There's a comment I just want to read uh, quickly. The regulations that God established were designed to promote social equality. Mm. The provisions of the sabbatical year and the Jubilee would, in a great measure, set right that which during the interval had gone wrong in the social and political economy of the nation. Now, that is a very, very interesting statement as far as I'm concerned. Steve, I see you're nodding your head. Did you have a comment on that? No, I How would that apply in 2019? <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I suspect the way we do things now, it, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't really work. Um, um, Are the principles, though, in here that we could adapt to 2019? Obviously, the land isn't going to revert back to the original owner because in our society, if I buy land from you, it becomes mine yeah. in perpetuity That's unless right. I sell it to somebody else. Yeah. The whole system is completely different. But I guess there are principles that are lying behind that system that mm, we can certainly adopt, surely. So the idea of um, of essentially people being not left in a position of being destitute, people mm. being able to um, live lives of of dignity, have things returned to them, given opportunity. I think these are all things that we can certainly incorporate into the way that we live. Mm. I can see one principle here. Most of us here at some stage in our lives, I'm sure, have had to have a mortgage over a property. Yeah. I can remember when I left the public service and I paid my mortgage off mm. that was still owing on my house. The feeling that I had, it's mine. Mm. I don't owe them any more money. I don't owe them any more interest. And the texts here in Leviticus 25 suggest liberty. I don't think it's just talking about liberty on a physical level. I think it's talking about liberty on a financial level and other levels as well. Anyway, that's where we're going to conclude for today's study. God in his wisdom, I believe, has really put in place some wonderful and broad principles. Isn't it a pity that Israel didn't always carry them out as they should have? And is there a lesson that we can learn from it? Len, have you got a closing comment on it? Well, I'd like to close with prayer. Mm. (laughs) So I invite you to join me in prayer, listeners, as the panel will. Father in heaven, what a wonderful book you have given us, the Bible. What wonderful principles there are for harmony and equality in society. And, um, Lord, you haven't treated us how we should be treated either because... All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and I'm sure our listeners can relate to that too. But you want to restore us, restore us to yourself, restore us to the life which you had originally planned for mankind. We want to thank you, and we pray that you will work in our lives, that the 
the things of the Bible that we know are good to do and are right and proper, that we will do them because you are the Lord our God. These things we pray in and through the precious name of Jesus our Saviour. Amen. Amen.